Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the convergence of security and networking, and the military's journey to zero trust and better cybersecurity. It's Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The Technology Modernization Fund is investing in two customer experience-focused technology projects. The General Services Administration announced Monday a $5.9 million award to the U.S. Agency for International Development to launch a new IT platform for customer relationships. The TMF also awarded $8.7 million to the Railroad Retirement Board for new online systems to support retirees. The Office of the Defense Department Chief Information Officer has a new permanent member in its leadership. Lily Zalecki is now Permanent Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise. She previously filled the role in an acting capacity. You can read more about these stories and more at fedscoop.com. In a quick programming note, you'll get a new episode of the Daily Scoop podcast Thursday afternoon, but after that, we'll take a quick hiatus next week for the holidays, then be back again at the start of January. Salesforce is the connected platform that powers government health services. Salesforce helps public entities engage with their health constituents on a single, intelligent platform to improve care outcomes from anywhere. Learn more at sfdc.com psh. Organizations across government are continuing to converge their cybersecurity posture and networking capabilities. In this highlight from the Security Transformation Summit produced by FedScoop, FDIC's Cherian Sivignanum, Intelligence Community Acting Chief Information Security Officer Brian Miller, and Citizenship and Immigration Services CISO Shane Barney discuss the transition going on at their agencies. It's been traditionally that way. I mean, network and security has been like twin brothers for a very long time. But the, let's take uh, like few, the few, few years ago when we really uh, had this together in the data center-centric world, we drew the perimeters of the network around the data center uh, and we kind of put the guardrails of security. And that's been our traditional way how we taught the world. But uh, the new world has changed. We are living in a multi-cloud era and a hybrid workforce. Now, in this world, how do you draw the network parameters? It's going to be very different, right? And this is where the zero trust solution comes in handy. Now, this is where we are rethinking security by moving the data center away from the center, and then we are moving people and data in the middle. So this kind of gives a perspective where we can um, look at like hackers. I mean, where are the hackers really coming at? They are coming at your data. And with this approach, you can think about you know, micro-segmenting, your end-to-end identification of data. So make sure you have the right person having right access to the data, get to the data. So these are the new magic that can happen in this, um, in this world where the security and uh, network converging uh, in the disconnected world. Absolutely. Now, Brian, from your perspective, you know, what have you seen that, that's helped driving that change? So, so I think for me, uh, you know, I can even think of, uh, of myself, like I, I was a networking guy before I became a security, uh, a security person um, and, and, and looking at the, the way that we used to focus on security being so um, perimeter driven. 
uh, in many ways, and, and that, that's changing. Uh, we understand now that uh, we've got to get all the way down to, to, to data uh, to really provide for protections uh, within uh, the system space and, and the user space. And I think that's, that's one of the, the more interesting things. Network protections, you know, uh, don't go away. They're, they're still absolutely as critical as ever, uh, but they're, they're, they're a piece of a, of a larger segmented uh, pie as we look at uh, things like uh, microsegmentation and other things driving how we're protecting uh, the ability for uh, threat actors to move laterally within networks and things like that. Good morning, everybody. Um, I guess my take on this is a little bit a little different because we, USCIS, we've been doing cloud for a very long time. Um, and we sort of went about it sort of in an evolutionary sort of way, uh, um, kind of fumbling our way through the dark in some days, at least that's what it felt. So for me, this convergence was more, less of a journey, more of a nightmare um, that we got to live through and, and kind of came out the other side with a whole lot of lessons learned and some scars. But, you know, for our perspective, really what it really started, what cloud and, and for me, what really drove this convergence is cloud, cloud technologies, and what enables the concept even. Um, and the kind of the realization that we came to probably in 2015, 2016, when we were really pushing heavily into the cloud, and I mean, my organization is like 95% cloud-based now, but at that point we were starting to really make that transition from being more cloud than and less prem. We started realizing that you know the security side of it and the networking side of it were, were very were, were not as remote as we thought. Um, I'm often saying that you know if your networking is code, well your security is code too. You know in that in that kind of you start putting your kind of that wrapping your head around it in that way, then it really starts making sense that you're, you're going to start approaching the way you, you sort of operate within the cloud environment and marrying together the two concepts. Um, and, and in reality, if I'm being honest about it, you know, DevOps was supposed to do that. And of course, it didn't do the best job of it, so they created DevSecOps and a bunch of other fun catchwords that we should use today, I'm sure. Um, but the reality is, is that the, conceptually it was there. But it also, I think, the, the concept, and, and, and not only just embracing the, the fact that this convergence is happening, you know, in loving it, actually, because I, I've always said that you can secure cloud better. It doesn't necessarily mean this cloud is better. It just, to, from my perspective, I can do a better job of securing. I can, I can develop better tool sets around my visibility. I can enhance my mission through that, those concepts. It enables a flexibility that simply doesn't exist in, on a, in a prem situation. So, so that convergence for me is a natural one. It was a very natural one, um, even if it was somewhat forced and we didn't realize it was happening until kind of retrospectively. But we, in the process, of course, there was a series of gotchas that, that we ran into that I think now that the community is sort of starting to catch up and realizing, especially I think the pandemic driving that, that we really need to start focusing on it and start really, organizations themselves need to understand that this convergence is already there. Whether you, whether you realize it or not, it's there. Um, whether you're leveraging it to your advantage, advantage is, is really the open-ended question. So that begs the question, Shane, it leads in a, into a good segue. Um, and one of the things you just touched on is, is nobody, no journey's the same. Everyone has, takes a, a different road you know, into this environment and approach. And so I want to ask the three of you, you know, what is your perspective on you know, what are some of those strategies and technologies um, that are help you know, ensuring that success of, you know, having that complete secure network and, and ensuring that that convergence is there and, and happening. Fight over it. I'll do it. Um, so, you know, there are, there are definitely some things that you need to be aware of. And, and, and the funny thing is, is 
the things that I'm about to say, I, I really seriously hope nobody in this room goes, oh my gosh, I'd never thought of that. Because it's, it's actually good cyber hygiene. I know that's just so freaking boring. Um, we should call it something really cool like, I don't know, secure access service edge. Let's call it sassy. I don't, I just came up with that. Um, <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. You know, sassy is a, you know, Gartner term sassy. Sassy is actually, conceptually, I'm, we, we could have a whole long discussion about where I'm on that one. But, you know, the idea behind what sassy really is, is it's all about building in security or operations, security and operations, which is the marrying of networking and security into one, into a platform. We started treating it as a platform for a long time ago. We had to. That was, that's how we had to deal with our cloud infrastructure. But, you know, from, in terms of what to focus on or what's important in that journey, it, it's, the, it's the things you would, the, the, for me, and, and I, I say this all the time, and I, and I cannot stress this enough, get identity right. Like, I, I focus 100% of your effort, 110% of your effort, refocus all of your IT department on IT or on identity. Get identity right. You know, make sure you have multi-factor authentication deployed. If you can, do hard token-based authentication. Deploy multiple layers of hard token authentication because you're going to want to protect your kind of your golden eggs or things that really run the core of your, your security program and your networking program at, at its core. You want to be able to protect those separately from everything else. You know, make sure that you have an, a, a really good handle on role-based access and centralize it. And when I say identity, I extend that well beyond users and systems. You need to also include, within cloud environment, you also include all of your assets, which includes data. It includes all the transit points. It's going to include all of your micro-segmentations, because each one of those segmentations actually has identity and roles in and of itself. And then manage that well. Get that right first. If you do nothing else, do that. It is the number one job. It's what everybody should focus on first. Um, I find it fascinating it's the only word I can come up with, that, that a lot of people talk about all these other really cool things they're doing, yet they're still working on single sign-on, or they're still working on you know, getting away from passwords. If you're still using passwords, you pr probably have a much larger problem than you realize. I, I'll, I'll let my other panel, so I could keep going, but. Okay. Yeah, Shane, I uh, can't agree more. Uh, from my perspective, uh, it's about the strat when it comes to strategy, I think the, uh, the zero trust, the five pillars really is the core. I mean, uh, Shane talked about IT management, the network, um, the application workload, uh, data, uh, all kind of converge together as a strong solution here, right? So from that approach, um, like I said before, if you just move in your strategy, uh, the people and data to the middle and rethink all these aspects to the identity management front, you know, how do you make sure they have the right credentials and right permissions to get the right data that they should be getting. You know, that's what it's all about. Uh, from the network perspective, yeah, the cloud access security broker, SASE, whatever that is. But that is, again, re the network security is rethought through with the data and people in the middle, right? So, um, so this is like, like the strategy. Pretty much everybody is moving forward. Now, I want to highlight one other thing on our strategies. Yeah, we're talking technology, which is all cool, but do not forget the people. Because when it comes to, I mean, to me, uh, most important assets to an organization is data and people. But your people are the weakest link when it comes to securing the data. So make sure they are upskilled, they are constantly trained, and they, are, they know what to do when a phishing attack comes in or they're, you know, they should not be downloading certain things on the desktop. So you can have the greatest technology on, the, uh, uh, on your uh, footprint, but if the workforce is not trained or they are not 
uh, aware what they should not be doing, you still end up in a disaster. So just make sure you take the people along with, with the technology. One quick thing that I would add to this is, is the, the, the concept of, of the importance of training our IT personnel uh, for, from a security awareness perspective. We have a lot of tools and capabilities that, that are provided um, uh, by, by a range of vendors that, that really uh, can help us secure the systems in very effective ways. Uh, but, but sometimes all it takes is like you know, one uh, IT person saying, oh, I, I've got a bandwidth problem, I've got a throughput problem, or whatever, and they change the, you know, uh, deny any any to uh, permit all all, and suddenly yeah. you've got craziness occurring within your, your, your network space. And so trying to make sure that, that, that those guys that aren't you know, directly involved in security relevant decisions all the time are still knowledgeable enough not to sort of knock things down. Okay, so to wrap things up, um, again, we, we all acknowledge that, you know, with the digital transformation, we have more people, devices, and data than ever before in, in our environments, and it's continuing to expand. Plus, we have more emerging threats and more attacks than we've ever seen uh, than ever before. So very quickly, like each one of you, and I'll, I'll start with you, Brian, is, you know, what are some of the, you know, lessons learned either looking back from, you know, 2022 and going into 2023, what are some of those lessons learned and what should people be thinking about going into 2023 to plan um, to ensure they have this successful convergence? Super, I, I, th I think that um, incident response, uh, really tying down your incident response, ensuring that is uh, uh, not just uh, uh, effective in the way that you have um, all of your you know, protections deployed and uh, you know, data uh, collection, correlation, aggregation, analysis, all of that occurring. But, but what's also important is um, sort of practicing those things and making sure that uh, incident responders are, are able to react to things. Obviously, you want to get ahead of that as much as possible and prevent in every possible scenario uh, that you can. But there are scenarios where uh, something unexpected has occurred and, and you weren't able to prevent, so you've got to react. So that has to be very strong. And if you do have to react, you want to ensure that you've got backups in place and you've got backup data uh, stores in place and, and locked down so that you're not completely beholden to the threat as it comes in. We've seen a lot of, you know, uptake in ransomwares and things like that. Um, and, and they're very, they're very crafty and, uh, and, and very clever. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and, and pass the torch here. Um, in terms of what I'm thinking of and what I'm worried about or looking to do, especially in this next year, and I, what I think is coming, is, is already here in some respects, is more of an understanding, is, is a change around how we do trust and what trust is. Um, some of this has been in the works for a while. Some of it's being driven by zero trust. Terrible term, but still it's what it is. Um, but you know, this more of an adaptive uh, trust model, more fluid, more fluid understanding of how we do trust. Um, trust even now still is often viewed as sort of a one or a zero. You're either trusted or you're not. You're trusted to do this. You're trusted to do that. Um, under more of an adaptive model, um, you're going to begin adapting trust more in the near real time sense, and it's going to be taking in a number of very critical factors that do that in your environment. Um, and more importantly, you know, we as security, as security professionals, network professionals. CIOs, whoever, and well, even the business side need to embrace that um, and understand it and then also play the integral role that you need, and the, the, which is the critical part of all of this is understanding how much of a hands-off nature that's going to be. Um, while I don't really believe there's artificial intelligence yet, we're 
a long ways from that, but we do have good machine learning principles that are at play, and, and we've started deploying them in those, to use those, and the machine learning is going to have to start making some of those decisions, which really then begins driving a very different type of risk model. Um, and that really is got to be the fundamental change. It's a mindset change, it's a leadership change. It, it's, it's really driving a, a type of risk acceptance and risk-based um, program that's kind of unique and different from what we do today, and, and especially within the federal space. Um, and, and how we do that and how we apply it is going to be, well, that's gonna be the journey. Uh, I'll be quick. I think we ran out of time. A couple of lessons learned for me. Uh, we talked about the people and make sure, you know, uh, you include the security training aspects on the career development plan and everything. So the other thing which I learned is thinking security proactively. Uh, this is very important because in the uh, years before, we used to create a solution and then think about how to secure them. But, you know, the new world, you have to really think about securing uh, the solution when you're designing this solution. And that's a big lesson that I learned. So anyway, I'll stop here. I think we ran out of time. Thank you so much. You can watch more highlights from the Security Transformation Summit at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Coming on Thursday's episode of the Daily Scoop Podcast, how the Army is using partnerships to improve their cybersecurity posture. You'll hear from Army Chief Information Security Officer Major General Jan Norris. That show debuts Thursday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Salesforce brings the public sector and customers together in the digital age. To access the new Veteran Mental Health and Resiliency Resources module, go to trailhead.salesforce.com. The Marine Corps is continuing to implement the personnel strategy laid out by Commandant General David Berger in Talent Management 2030. On the sidelines of the Security Transformation Summit, my Scoop News Group colleague, Wyatt Cash, sat down with Renata Spinks, Assistant Director of IC4 at the Marine Corps, to discuss how TM2030 is being used to improve the services cyber workforce. Uh, Renata, it's always a pleasure having you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to start by asking, what steps uh, has your agency, or your office rather, uh, taken to really help offset and or adjust to the chronic cybersecurity staffing skills shortages that so many agencies are facing? Such a great question. Um, definitely hones in on one of my favorite topics, which is people. Um, it's, it's no, like you said, it's no um, secret that we do have a shortage um, in cybersecurity. The one thing that the Marine Corps, I think, will continue to foot stomp and take uh, um, pretty personally is the Commandant's um, talent management document that came out um, a few months ago. His uh, talent management for 2030, it outlines not only how we think about people and our Marines, but how we actually manage that, that talent that is so lacking. Not only is it within the cybersecurity space, but just you know understanding the criticality of how everything works within the cyberspace, whether we are enlisting Marines for a tactical environment, such as infantry MOSs, or if we're enlisting Marines such as the comms community. It doesn't matter which MOS, cyber is going to be involved. And complementary to that are the civilians. Great minds, um, sometimes they're veterans and sometimes they're industry people who just come in to share their knowledge. And so 
We have to make sure that we are focusing in on the diversity of talent. And that's why Talent Management 2030 is so critical. We, we invest consistently by training dollars. Um, that means we're putting our money where our mouth is. Um, we are looking at our recruiting command and how they are using technology to recruit and meeting people where they are. Um, during COVID, we were at a standstill. So Zoom was real critical. Um, Google Meet was really critical. And the, Marine faced a, the Marines faced a large challenge in that space. We faced a challenge of how do we take advantage of technology to get in the houses and the rooms of so many people so that we can continue recruiting and then continue the retention piece. Hiring was still occurring, so how did we continue our workforce and making sure that they could still access those human resource systems? Um, payroll still had to be executed. So that is that is what we did um, to address the, sh the, the workforce management piece. And the shortage of cyber skills, partnering with academia is so important. We, we look at the historically black colleges and universities. Um, we look at the community colleges. There are so many curriculums that are, that are out there right now that people are taking advantage of. And the online learning has probably been one of the most revolutionary things that we can really take advantage of. Um, and then when we're not you know, perusing for degrees, we're looking for certifications. We're, we're investing in making sure that um, our Marines can get certified. And I want to be clear, when I say Marines, I always go to extra step to say civilians and active duty, but we're all Marines, right? And so when I say Marines, I mean everybody, even our contractual defense department and, and the contractors that come in and help us day to day based on federal acquisition regulations, we, they're all Marines as well. And so we make sure that we are gleaning from lessons learned at the other services and sharing that information, whether that's white papers, whether that's research. Um, we have innovation challenges where we can actually have hands-on um, experiences with application development and you know there's capture the flag that goes on so that's the cybersecurity piece so we're, we're not only just talking about it and creating policy but we're actually actually taking action and doing things strictly around how do we grow talent we have within, how do we recruit that talent, and then making sure we have the tools in place through the technologies that we are investing millions and millions of the taxpayers' dollars in to retain that talent and, and, and keep up with newer technologies. Well, that sounds very enlightened approach. So thank you for laying that out for us. The other question I had for you is, um, where would you say the U.S. Marine Corps has maybe made the greatest headway over the past year towards adopting the DOD's zero trust strategy and, and sort of the beginnings of the roadmap now ahead? Yeah, so, so we're conscious of the, the, the mandates and executive orders. Um, but before all that, there were conversations about zero trust. Industry was talking about zero trust from an Intel perspective. Um, I spent three years at Marfor Cyber. Um, we shared the campus with NSA. We, part, we were part of that United States Cyber Command paradigm and, and construct. And zero trust was a necessity when the world shut down. You know, um, we had to focus on identities. We had to make sure that no matter where our employees were, if they if they were not in what we call a skiff, then they were home because you know the the pandemic forced us to to be very very health conscious and and restrict ourselves from potentially spreading such a 
a lethal um, virus. And so we had to focus on identities. Um, we, we were challenged with instruments because our workforce went home one day expecting to come back to work the next day or the next two or three days. Some people were on you know, leave and things like that. And their instruments, their end user devices were still on their desks. And so um, we focused on health consciously, you know, making sure our end user devices were equipped with the, certi the, the certificates that were needed. Um, we, we extended the requirements, worked very closely with the Department of Defense and um, the personnel office for certificates and our cat cars, people's cat cars were expiring. So working very closely with DISA was so important. Um, so I, I, think, I think as we always say, the technology is going to outpace the policy every time. And I think that's a healthy thing. I think that if we don't have an intestinal fortitude and if we don't have that intellectual curiosity, we may find ourselves pinning documents and mandates that are not valuable and they're unrealistic. So during COVID-19, um, the way the Marine Corps moved out to the cloud and the way we were forced to federate identities, um, moving mailboxes, uh, making sure that we did not um, violate records management laws. Um, we invested very shortly after that in a service data officer because that made us realize Yes, we definitely have a critical piece. Whether we were authorized another SES, you know, that was a conversation. Um, but by any means necessary. And so we hired at what we call a high, highly qualified expert. And that HQE is on board now. And we are, we are approaching data governance. We're, we're approaching data management, um, tagging, the data taxonomies. What does the Marine need? at the speed of need for decision-making, but also the joint community. JADC2 is right in our backyard. We, we focus and work very closely with the joint community. And so the service data officers' uh, responsibility is, is almost as rare as the cybersecurity skills that we just talked about. Um, it's something that the Department of Defense has struggled. Um, I think federal government writ large has struggled with data. And so the Commandant um, and the Assistant Deputy Commandant of Information and the DCI, they all partnered together and said we definitely have to define what this service data officer is going to be doing and then enable and empower um, the service data officer. And, and so now we are, we've We've gotten to data tagging. We're sharing data with some of the large-scale databases um, throughout the Department of Defense. And then you heard me talk about innovation challenges. We're also investing in platforms for software development. And most critical to that, um, after we, we stabilized is what I'll say. I won't say normalized because I don't think we'll ever go back to what we thought was normal. But as we approached a stabilized um, COVID-19 paradigm and we started to adopt some tools and techniques and procedures to, um, to better deal with such a large scale um, challenge. We also had to ensure that we, we focused in on enabling and empowering our employees to take advantage and adopt the technologies that we were, that we were pushing out very quickly, by the way. Um, and then at the end of the day, take that feedback from our users and make the experience better, um, as well as work with industry. So the zero trust journey, um, I think, 
is defined by a lot of those lessons learned. And we see it in a lot of the tenants that are already in place. Um, you, 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 can't, you can't have continuous monitoring. You cannot, um, it, it will be, I won't say you can't. It will be very difficult for me to assess your ability to access everything you're trying to access on the network without the data and cloud computing to make that data storable, as well as the ability for algorithms and machine learning to help do things that just realistically a human cannot uh, do in an efficient and effective manner as quickly as we need to. So that last piece of zero trust to us is, um, you know, to answer your question on, on many of the ways that we're addressing that zero trust and, and that journey is our combination is investing in artificial intelligence and machine learning. We definitely have pilots uh, going on throughout the Marine Corps. But again, we're also watching and we're um, acquiring lessons learned from everything else that the services are doing. By no means is the Marine Corps perfect and we're definitely not you know, alone and unafraid from a deployment perspective, sometimes we're the first ones in. But when it comes to, hey, let's figure out this new technology and, and how we can provide our warfighters with something a little bit more efficient, effective, and, and fast and quick, because they're moving pretty quickly, they're moving really fast. Um, and at the end of the day, while operations are here for business um, settings, and we kind of figured all that out within the unclassified space, our next challenge now that we're really focusing on for zero trust is how do we achieve zero trust architecture effectively and efficiently uh, you know, within the, the cyber readiness space in a classified environment? And so those are those are those um, you know we we will we'll take our hats off for achievements in the IO five. We've learned a lot um, from that perspective, but I think the largest challenge now that we've been posturing ourselves for is how we are are getting after you know the classified environment and and you know we've spent the last year investing time, attention, policy writing, um, acquiring pilots of, of, of information um, or information from pilots, um, and, and just setting the expectations of, here's where we are today, here's what our classified environment looks like, here's what that network looks like, and oh, by the way, here's all of the things we have to improve. And you know, just recently the NDAAs was, was, was published, and so now we have appropriations and authorizations, so all of that matters. And, and so that's, that's how the Marine Corps is um, moving towards zero trust. And I, I would say it is a uh, infinite journey. Absolutely. Well, Renata Spinks, it's always a pleasure hearing from you and also about the work and progress that you're making at the U.S. Marine Corps on behalf of the nation. So thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having us. You can read more about Talent Management 2030 and the Marine Corps' personnel goals at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again Thursday afternoon. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks for listening.